you mind if I pray again for these talks? Dear Heavenly Father, in whose presence it is a privilege and joy, though not our right, to stand, would you teach us and speak to us and show us the ways of wisdom for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, I said this last night, but let me just say again, I'm really grateful to you for having me here. It's really a lot of fun uh, to be able to be, uh, and it's kind of a joy to be welcomed by you, so thanks. Um, This morning, it's on page 11, the outline uh, for this talk, if you need it. Um, And uh, let's just get into it, shall we? Let me start by asking, I wonder if you can think of any little proverbs that you were taught as a child, or as a teenager or whatever. A little sentence of wisdom that someone, perhaps your mother, father, grandparent, you and that has stuck with you. Can anybody think of one? He who hesitates is lost. He who hesitates is lost, yeah. Okay, so there's well-known examples. Um, that's slightly less well-known, but it's a good one. Um, no, 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 I've heard, see, I've heard that before. It's not, it, you, you will have heard, I mean, does somebody else have one that is well-known? A stitch in time saves nine. A stitch in time saves nine. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Don't judge a book by its cover. Um, too many cooks spoil the broth. Little proverbs. Many of these, I don't know if you've noticed, many of these recall ways of life that we no longer share. A time when people knew how to cook broth <laughs> and cared about doing it. A time when people wanted to catch birds rather than leaving them in the bush. <laughs> a time when people read books. Who were these weirdos? Absolutely. Now, perhaps you have some other examples. Perhaps there are little maxims that you were taught that are less common. My dad was actually f- full of odd little life lessons, some of which were of dubious value. Um, never trust a man in a brown or a green suit. Is <laughs> one of his favourites. Uh, but there are others which were really helpful. Um, he used to say, there's always more toothpaste in the tube. Um, by which he meant that there's always a way to get through some kind of bureaucratic impasse. And that's actually true, mostly. Um, perhaps for you there aren't so much sayings, as, like proverbs, as just little lessons you were taught by your parents or grandparents or significant kind of mentor figures that have stayed with you. Life lessons, common sense wisdom, which you have always found helpful. I hope you can think of something like this. I've found myself remembering things like this a little more as I've had my own children and started to teach them uh, things, started to try to guide them through the world. As a father, I think you feel a real anxiety to set them off on the right track, uh, and as a mother as well, I imagine, uh, to get them going down good paths that won't lead them astray. Do you know what I mean? Well, you can imagine it. Perhaps you or, or perhaps even your parents are worried about this uh, and like this at the moment. Well, if any of this rings true, you'll find it interesting, I think, that this is exactly the kind of thing that the book of Proverbs is interested in. 
The opening chapters of the book of Proverbs, which set the scene for everything that follows in the book, they represent a kind of theology of this kind of human, common human experience, of life lessons to keep you on the right track. They're a kind of theology of that. These opening chapters pulsate with just the kind of parental anxiety that many of us have experienced, whether as parents or as children. Listen, for example, to these words from the start of chapter 4. Listen, my son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. I instruct you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. Uh, That kind of sentiment occurs over and over again in these opening chapters. My son, pay attention. Chapter 4, verse 20. My sons, listen to me. Don't turn aside from what I say. Chapter 5, verse 7. And the advice is very practical. Here's here's a summary of chapter 6, verses 20 to 35. Here's the summary. For heaven's sake, don't sleep with someone else's wife because he will come and beat you up. (laughs) He'll beat beat the crap out of you. Okay, don't do it. That's chapter 6 of Proverbs, uh, or a lot of it. A lot of the wisdom of these opening chapters feels like this. Instructions a father or parents might give to a son in his teenage years at a point where he is starting to be at risk of making mistakes with real consequences. Consider with me how the book begins. If you've got a Bible there, turn to chapter 1. In chapter 1, verses 1 to 7, there's an initial prologue. So it introduces, and then from verse 8... We get this introduction, listen to your parents' instruction, verses 8 and 9. And then in verses 10 to 19, we get the instruction. So it's the first piece of substantial instruction in the book of Proverbs. I'll let you read this on your own time, but here's a summary of it again. Please, please hear us when we tell you it's really stupid to join a violent criminal gang. (laughs) That's the wisdom you get there. Please, don't. Don't join a violent criminal gang because you're going to end up dead in a ditch. That's what it's about. It's the real-life advice of parents who want their son not to stuff it all up at this risky early point in his life. Now, while it might not be the kind of advice that seems immediately useful to all of us, for many people in the world, this is still deeply practical stuff. Um, Poor families in El Salvador or Syria, for example... They have to teach their kids these things because it is quite attractive to join a violent criminal gang. Well, this is the wisdom with which Proverbs is concerned. This kind of practical, real-life wisdom that will keep you from mucking everything up. The aim of Proverbs, that is the aim of proverbial sayings, the proverbial sayings that make up most of the book of Proverbs, the aim is to condense some insight along these lines into a neat, memorable package. Proverbial sayings represent a kind of focused summary of some insight into how to live your life successfully or just not to stuff it up, not to make a hash of it. Uh, Consider the following proverbs. I've got these on the screen, I think. Uh, So here are some about social media. Many words will not stop transgression, but he who restrains his lips is smart. 
Fools show their anger at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. Leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not find words of knowledge. Of course, they're not really about social media, I just said that. Here's, some, here's one about, well, they kind of are, actually. Here's one about working in a team. One who restrains his words has real knowledge. A cool spirit makes a man of understanding. Uh, the next one's one about being part of a church. Like one who grabs a stray dog by the ears is someone who rushes into a quarrel, not their own. Here's one for philosophers. It is not good to eat too much honey, nor is it honourable to search out matters that are too deep. <laughs> Anybody study philosophy here? <laughs> Me too. Uh, here's, here's one about meetings. In all toil there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. <laughs> and here are a couple that are probably always worth hearing. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. And to finish, here's one about work emails. To answer without listening, folly and shame. Do you see how these sayings are meant to work? I think the best way to describe it is that they aim to um, condense an insight into how the world works into a memorable, dense little package. It's as if they're packing down into this little statement a whole lot of diverse experience that's hard to put your finger on and they're bringing it into a kind of condensed focus. Um, when you first hear one of these, you have, I think you, you have this sense that this is onto something and it's meant to make you stop and wonder about it and, and then reflect on it and take it in. People think proverbs can be read quickly, but actually they have, they're meant to be read very slowly. Right? You're meant to read it and then it makes you stop and you think about it. And they're designed to be remembered so that they can actually help us when the time comes. That's why the father in Proverbs is constantly calling his son to remember what he's saying. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. We'll come back to that in the, the last talk, actually. Now, not everything in the book of Proverbs will strike you, I imagine, as insightful or wise. And this is mainly because these sayings were originally designed for a very different context. The main audience they originally have in view is young Israelite men in a very patriarchal and agrarian context. And it means there are things that don't really connect with us. Lots of sayings about cattle and kings and balances, things like that. Still, it's very striking how much of what Proverbs says is still relevant, especially once you take the context into account. The main message for these young Israelite men is talk less, don't get angry, listen to advice, and be a bit less full of yourself. It, it's, just, it's just possible that some of that advice is still relevant to young men today, I think. Uh, in the third talk, we'll talk a lot more about some of the content of these sayings and how they're relevant to us. But it's also important that what we have here is a mode of teaching that we can recognise. We actually know we need these kinds of reminders today. Don't look at your phone while you're driving. Keep your work and the rest of your life in balance. 
Sometimes we even come up with pithy little phrases to remind ourselves, just like Proverbs. Remember that saying uh, that was on ads and things, drink, drive, bloody idiot? Do you remember that that advertising slogan? It was on signs as well. Drink, drive, bloody idiot. Does anybody remember that? Yeah? That's a proverb, right? It's It's a pithy way of getting you to remember something That'll keep you from stuffing your life up. Um, there's one in Canberra which really annoys me, but because of the grammar. But it's it's there. It's on a road sign. It says "Drive in text you be next." <laughs> the example of proverbs actually suggests that making our, li- our our advice a bit memorable is a good idea. Maybe instead of stop looking at your phone, we could be a bit more poetic. How about this one? The screen says more, more, but the wise person considers his way. That's a riff on a proverb. Here's another attempt. Here's a kind of proverb for today. Like a frog boiling in water without knowing it, so is the one who lets the next episode play on Netflix. (laughs) There is actually a great... There's a great Twitter hashtag, uh, hashtag cyberproverbs, uh, that attempts to do this. Don't do it now because you'll be laughing. Uh, but but uh, most hum- mostly humorously. Here's my favourite though. Like one who wears his underpants outside his clothes, so is he who uses his Facebook status to inspire and admonish. <laughs> What's important about Proverbs though is not just that it affirms the place of ordinary everyday wisdom like this or that it might help us know how to be better at it although those things are true. But what's important is also the way the book of Proverbs frames this kind of wisdom. It gives an explanation of where wisdom like this comes from and why it's there in the world and what it means. And it's a theological explanation, that is, an explanation that involves saying something about God. The everyday human wisdom that we find on the lips of parents and in pithy expressions that we remember our grandmother saying, that all exists, Proverbs tells us, because God made the world by wisdom. It's this Hebrew phrase, behochmah, in wisdom, with wisdom, by wisdom. Look at me at chapter 3, verses 19 to 20. It's on the screen, I think. This is chapter 3. By wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge the deeps were divided and the clouds let drop the dew. The Lord made the world by wisdom. He made the world wisely so that it is a wisely made world. It is a world shaped by and that continues to work by the wisdom of God. Now, in chapter 8, part of which we read before, we get a longer version of this story. Uh, We hear there the voice of wisdom speaking for... Wisdom speaking for itself, or rather, speaking for herself. For wisdom appears there, as elsewhere in Proverbs, as a woman. Wisdom is personified as a woman in Proverbs. Does not wisdom call out, the chapter begins. Does not understanding raise her voice? And then she speaks... And she tells us about herself. She tells us how she is pure, reliable, and the cause of all that is good in the world. Uh, 
I want to have a look at it, but I'll, I'll make sure I'm using the same version you are. So I'll just grab the Rivendell handout. So we're on page, if you've got the text, it's page nine. This wonderful text. So from verse 12, she's, she, 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 she's just said, choose my instruction instead of, instead of silver. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. Then from verse 12, she talks about really what she's like and, and how important she is. By me, kings reign and rulers decree uh, and rulers issue decrees that are just. By me, princes govern, verse 16. Um, verse 19, my fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. And then from verse 22, she explains why all this is. She tells the backstory of this amazing position she has in the world and why she is the most precious and important thing. Verse 22. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was formed long ages ago at the very beginning when the world came to be. When there were no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. She's telling a story now using the images from the book of Genesis and from kind of ancient understandings of creation. And she's saying, yes, and before all that happened, before those beginning moments of creation happened, before there were the deeps, there was me. Before he made the world or its fields, verse 26, or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so that the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth, I was there. Verse 30, then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in the human race. Wisdom was there at the beginning, accompanying God's work of bringing the earth into existence. Wisdom is the joyful goodness that filled God's work of creation. And that fills the earth, making it hospitable to human life. Now what we need to register here is that according to the way the book of Proverbs sees things, wisdom is not first and foremost something human. Something we have, a human capacity. Wisdom is not first and foremost something to be said about people an attribute of certain wise people. First and foremost, wisdom is something to be said about God's work of creation and therefore about the world, the world we live in, the earth, because of the way God has made it. That's why wisdom can speak in Proverbs, why wisdom calls out to us like an other person like a wise woman calling out. This is a recurring image in Proverbs, wisdom calling. And it's important. Wisdom calls because wisdom is not just something in us, in my brain. Wisdom is something in the world. 
Wisdom is primarily about how this world that God has made is good to live in. How it is full of ways of living that work and that lead to life. Wisdom is not primarily about how you or you or me might be smart or prudent or good at doing things. Our words of wisdom and our instructions in wisdom, they depend upon the reality of wisdom in the world, the wise paths that have been given to us to walk in. This is a strange thought, can I just say? So you will need to slow down and try it on for a little while and really, I'm going to keep going over it a little bit. We're very used to thinking about wisdom as a human capacity. I think the book of Proverbs says, actually, the first thing to say about wisdom is that it's, it's, it's how God made the world. It's, something, it's a reality of the world. That's actually, this, it's this, this, for the same reason, in Job 28, the question is not how do I get wise, but where shall wisdom be found? Because wisdom is, is something other. And, it's, and, and Job 28 connects it to God's work of creation. Then he saw it and, and searched it out at the end in God's work of creation. It's actually, I think, why there is so much language of paths and ways and tracks in the book of Proverbs. You may have never noticed this before, but when you start reading the book of Proverbs, look out for it. Um, Because once you do, this language of paths and ways and tracks is everywhere. Uh, I read before from chapter 4. Listen again. I instruct you, says the Father, in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. Or from chapter 2, wisdom leads us to every good path, the title of my book. Or from chapter 3, speaking of wisdom, her ways are pleasant ways, all her paths are peace. Wisdom has paths, you see. Of course, it's not only Proverbs that uses this language, it's elsewhere in the Bible. And remember how we spoke at the beginning of how parents might long for their children to get going on the right track. Tracks and paths, ways, courses of action. It's actually a very natural way of thinking. And the book of Proverbs tells us that's because that's, that's actually how the world is. God has made this world by wisdom. So that wisdom is really there for us. Openings and opportunities lying before us, in a sense calling out to us in welcome. I think there's a wonderful illustration of the way Proverbs understands wisdom in a story called The Adventure of a Skier by the Italian writer Italo Calvino. If you were here last night, I read this story. Um, I'm going to put up a bit of it now, um, but just put up, this is the, you can still get it. So if you want to read it sometime before the next talk, can I encourage you to read it? It only take you 10 or 15 minutes. Great story, I think. Um, um, Just hang on a second, Justin. I think there's a great story. It's a story about a bunch of awkward Italian boys going skiing who see and are captivated by a beautiful and elusive Swiss girl who moves effortlessly and gracefully through the world. Here is how Calvino describes it in two passages. They're going to be hard to read, but I'll I'll read it out. They wouldn't have been able to explain why, but this was what held them spellbound. All her movements were as simple as possible and perfectly suited to her person. She never exaggerated by a centimetre, never showed a hint of agitation or effort 
or determination to do a thing at all costs, but did it naturally. And depending on the state of the trail, she even made a few uncertain moves, like someone walking on tiptoe, which was her way of overcoming the difficulties without revealing whether she was talking, taking them seriously or not. In other words, not with the confident air of one who does things as they should be done, but with a trace of reluctance, as if she were trying to imitate a good skier but always ended up skiing better. This was the way the sky blue girl moved on her skis. And then the next slide, slide this is the last paragraph, um, and it's a beautiful description. It seemed to him that there in the shapeless jumble of life was hidden a secret line, a harmony traceable only to the sky blue girl. And this was the miracle of her, that at every instant in the chaos of innumerable possible movements, she chose the only one that was right and clear and light and necessary, the only gesture that, among an infinity of wasted gestures, counted. I'm fascinated by how close this is to the way Proverbs describes wisdom. In Proverbs 2, wisdom is a graceful woman. At the end of Proverbs, in chapter 31, wisdom is embodied in the figure of the strong and noble wife who weaves her way through the world, not skiing, but in just this kind of graceful, effective way. And what's also interesting is the way that Calvino sees that this, like, like he sees, like Proverbs does, that this has something to do with the nature of the world. Did you see that? In the shapeless jumble of life, there was hidden a secret line, a harmony that only the sky blue girl could trace. That is how Proverbs thinks about wisdom, that there really are good paths for us, ways of wisdom that lead to successful good living of life that we need to try and trace. And they are there because God made this world in wisdom, by wisdom. Okay. What does all this mean for us today? What is the significance of all this for us, for you? It's not totally simple to answer this question because what I'm trying to talk about here is actually something very basic and foundational. We're talking about one of the deep aspects of what it means to believe that God created the world. It has massive significance for almost everything. It shapes your whole outlook on life. Let me, though, say three things that I hope will indicate some of the significance of what I've been talking about. So here we go. First thing, appreciating what Proverbs says about creation and wisdom should shape the way we think about morality or ethics. Because what it teaches us is that the world we find ourselves in is not Morally neutral. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I mean that morality, that is what are right and wrong, or, or more simply, better and worse ways to act and to live, is something real. As real as rocks and water. Why? Because God made this world by wisdom. And what that means is that he has shaped it to be good for human life. 
He made it so that there are ways of living that work and there are ways that don't. There are paths that lead to life and there are non-paths that end in death. And the paths that lead to life are justice and righteousness. Chapter 8, verse 20, wisdom says, I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice. Where do you find every good path? In chapter 2, verse 9, in what is right and just and fair. The world itself has a moral character. That is, it is always already shaped by the realities of good and evil. There really are better ways to act and to live, and they are the ways of righteousness. Now, this is a hard thing to understand today because we are very used to thinking about things differently. We are used to thinking that morality is something we make up and then agree on. It's something humans come up with. It's a, it's a human imposition on the world. We're used to thinking that moral values are a kind of consensus decision we have to come to on how people ought to live. And if that's the case, then they're open to adjustment. Now, there is some truth in that. Right? Obviously, we do talk about things and come up with things, but in the big picture, that is just not how the Bible sees things. In the Bible, goodness, justice and right relationships are something that were there from the beginning of creation through God's wisdom. There is no life that is not already morally shaped and ordered. In fact, according to the Bible, ethics is not even just a matter of what God decides. So that if, for example, God decided that lying was now okay, then it would be. Actually, no. No. God can't do that. Because he's made the world a certain shape. And it is that kind of world. And he's faithful to it. That's just not the kind of world God has made. Understanding this is profoundly important for understanding Christian ethics. When Christians talk about moral issues, which, to be honest, they do far too often, uh, and I'm an ethicist, we've got to stop doing it quite so much, but when we do, this is what ought to lie behind it. The conviction that the world itself always already has a moral character and that that should be respected. The world has a shape that is the condition of, the ground of, any meaningful human freedom. But, and here we get to the second point. So that was all the first point. The second point's a bit shorter, don't worry. That's not because we want to be boring, moralising killjoys. It's not that. Because what the Bible says is not just that certain ways of living are right and others are wrong, but that certain ways of living are good and life-giving and others are destructive and end in death. Her ways are pleasant ways, says Proverbs. All her paths are peace. God has not made a world that is out to squash us, to thwart our longings and block us from our good. He has made a world that is good for us. That's what wisdom means. 
This is a world that is made to be hospitable to human life. I love that metaphor of hospitality. The world, and it comes for me from, in in chapter 9, wisdom calls offering us to a feast, right? It's like the world itself is offering hospitality to us. That's the kind of world we live in, a world that welcomes us. And we ought to give thanks for it. Even if we can't see this all the time. And we can't see it all the time. Most of us can't see it a lot of the... Many of us can't see it a lot of the time for reasons I want to come back to in the next talk. I promise I won't forget it. We don't always feel like the way the world God has made is good for us. But even if we can't see that, even if you don't feel that, it remains true. And it is a cause for thanksgiving. And if you look around, you will see it in a thousand ways. Perhaps not the ways you wish you'd see it, but ways that matter nonetheless. You'll see it in the earth that brings forth fruits for us to eat. In the social conventions that stop our society from falling into violence. In the good advice, even if there wasn't much of it, that your parents and grandparents gave you. This is what proverbs are. They are signposts to the ways of wisdom that lie before us. Their very existence should be a cause for thanksgiving, that God has made this world by wisdom so that it is good for us to live in. And this leads me to the third and last thing I want to say this morning, which is that all of this can help us to understand and perhaps give give us a vision for many of the things we spend our days doing, and especially our work or things like our study. That is, seeing the world in this way has enormous practical significance. Most basically, what we can say is that much of what we do is made possible by the good earth that God has made by wisdom. The world he has established to be lived in and lived in well. This is what makes it possible for us to work towards things that benefit others, for parents to train their children in the way they should go for doctors to find good, effective practices of care, for builders to know that there are right and wrong ways to pour concrete, reinforce steel and put up walls, for speech therapists to discover effective ways to treat speech defects. It is why there are things to be learned in all sorts of fields of knowledge, insights gained into how the world is and how it can be lived in. The world could have been much more inhospitable to us. At one point in Wisdom's great speech in Proverbs 8, in verse 15, she tells us, as we read, By me kings reign, and rulers decree what is just. That's an important sentence, I think, for understanding work. Uh, Where I live in Canberra, this is a really easy point to make, because almost everybody works in government. Uh, And so they're involved in some way in reigning. They all think of themselves as as ruling. They're rulers. That's not quite true, but they can get the connection. Um, What we see here is that the task of government is to act by wisdom. That is, in accordance with the reality of the world God has made and the way it supports human life. But the same is true, I think, of all kinds of work. The goal of our work is to work with wisdom to discover, open up and make use of the good ways of life that are there for us. 
to enjoy and benefit from the goodness of creation that God has made for us to share in. Uh, it's, it's kind of a task for you to think about, does that work for my work? How, how, how does that help me think about what we're doing? Sometimes you've got to go quite big picture, but that's a good conversation to have. Now, we shouldn't be naive either about our work, which is very often full of frustration and difficulty. Right? Work often feels anything but in tune with the hospitality of creation, doesn't it? I mean, when you're kind of wrestling with an Excel spreadsheet, you know, it just feels a long way off. But, um, and it also, we shouldn't be naive about the human capacity to trace these paths of wisdom. I'll come back to all of that tomorrow morning. I promise I haven't forgotten it. But for now, what I want to say is simply that whatever the difficulties and frustrations, it's important and it's very good to know that that's not the way the world is at its core. God has not made a world that resists our knowledge, understanding and activity. On the contrary, when we are seeking to understand the world and to learn to live within it, we are working with the grain of the universe. That God has made this world by wisdom means that it is possible, even in the midst of all sorts of nonsense and hot air and mistakes, it's possible for people to discover true things and do wise things and to come to recognise and to know something about our world and our life within it. And that, I think, can give us a vision for many of the things we are called to do or that we just have to do each day. And it can cause us to give thanks. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you that you made this world by wisdom. That your wisdom was there in the beginning. And that you called into existence by your word, not a world that is flat and neutral, terribly inhospitable to us, but a world that calls out to us in welcome and extends life to us. Lord, would you teach us to remember this, to give thanks for it, and to rejoice in it and celebrate it in as much as we are able in whatever we are doing. For Jesus' sake. Amen.